Welcome to the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast number three. In this episode, my co-hosts Toby Coulshaw and Alison Edridge and myself, Alan Walker, were joined by the incredible Megan Batista of IDC. If you like what you hear, please tell the world. This podcast needs your support to reach as many ears as possible. A review or rating on your favourite podcast listening app goes a long way. And of course, if there's anything we can do better, drop us a line. We want to deliver the best possible experience for you, our listeners, and we'll only do that by receiving your input. Have fun! Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens, and here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S.com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. Welcome to the third episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Yay! Um, I'm Alan Walker. Amateur podcast host and professional know nothing at all about the world of TI. I'm here for my crazy hosting skills rather than my TI knowledge. Um, thankfully, I'm delighted to have with me again my co-host Toby Coulshaw from Phillips and Alison Ettridge from Talent Intuition. How are we both? Very I'm good, thank you. Fab, thanks very much. Disappointing that our yay has turned into you doing it, though, and not oh. a little record, pre-recorded yay. Just thought I'd bring that in right at the beginning. This one. Yay! <laughs> that that one. one. There you go. That's the one I've missed. There we go. There we go. <laughs> we all love the yay. Um, just for reference, remember, we will one day have a gentleman called Nick Brooks from Microsoft joining us um, when he gets over the parenting thing and he's ready to return to this real world that we're in that is definitely, definitely way easier than being a parent of twins. So we also have with us our guest today, Megan Batita from IDC. Megan, hello. Hi, how are you? We're, we're wonderful. I'm wonderful anyway. I don't know why I'm talking to myself as if there's more than one of me, <laughs> but I am wonderful or in the royal we. Um, sure. You're very much part of the show moving forward. So quickly, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. So I um, am currently the uh, research director at IDC for Emerging Trends in Talent Acquisition. Um, I spent 16 years as a practitioner um, before I became an analyst. Uh, at places such as Allstate and um, CDW and Spencer Stewart. So I'll talk about some of that um, a little later on, I think. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you on the show, by the way. And feel free to jump in, speak up, take over the hosting, whatever you want to do. <laughs> we'll, we'll freestyle all the way through this. Um, so here's how the next 40 minutes or so are going to pan out, everyone. Um, I've done my intro pretty much over and done with. And Toby is going to lead us through a discussion of some of the more interesting happenings in the world of talent intelligence, news views, industry insights, movers and shakers, that type of thing. And, and then Alison is going to take the lead on firing some hard-hitting questions at Megan about her career and, and views on TI. Um, so we've got a lot to get through today. So let's crack on and have some fun. So, Toby, what is happening in the world of TI? So quite a bit um, this week. So really, really... Was it here? <laughs> it was just a very short segment otherwise. <laughs> Nothing. Moving on. I'm, I'm scribbling a load more pre- questions down from Megan all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's been some really good stuff. So um, the, but the highlight for me this week has been uh, a presentation I saw by Todd Davis, who is the global lead of Enterprise Global Competitive Talent Strategy, which is an awesome job title over at IBM. <laughs> Uh, and he was doing a whole session on effective talent analytics, which is uh, slightly tighter than a lot of the talent intelligence remits that we, we hear of. But it's uh, very much looking at that talent acquisition analytics and, and how to use that strategically. It was super, super interesting. Um, had two really, really good examples I liked. One around competitor mapping. And it was around looking at the attrition of competitors on a month-by-month basis and looking at the cycles over a time periods to better have hiring strategies that are more targeted at those companies 
really, really interesting. It had some, uh, it had a whole section on what was predicted versus what was the actual. So it was quite, I, I like the structure behind his methodology. It was quite a scientific methodology. So really, really super interesting. And, and that example threw up some really, really good surprises where uh, there was a whole chunk of attrition that wasn't expected that actually opened up a whole new attraction strategy for the, the organization. So I really like that example. And then there was a fantastic example around uh, the impact of COVID-19 and looking at uh, critical hiring and the actual hiring effectiveness uh, and the impact of COVID-19 through that hiring cycle. One thing that's super interesting, I like the fact that it was a very holistic view. He was he was looking at the entire uh, supply chain, essentially, of, of the, the, the talent landscape and then looking at how uh, COVID was impacting every single element and every single layer. Um, and it gave a, a really interesting perspective because it, it fundamentally meant they had to readdress and change uh, a number of the, their talent acquisition strategies and a number of their plans because of, of what was happening with COVID and, and how it was affecting different parts of the, um, the, the talent acquisition cycle. So really, really interesting. As I say, a, a traditionally, talent analytics it kind of falls closer often to that, that HR analytics and TA ops piece. But uh, it's super interesting, really, really uh, good presentation. But the link's in the group, so I'd recommend everyone go out and check out Todd Davis. Can I be, can I just shotgun gun the conversation very quickly as the uh, as the, the the dummy in the room generally on this kind of stuff? Explain to me very quickly the difference between tan, talent analytics and talent intelligence, Toby. Oh, if, if there's a quick answer, that's a million dollar question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or anybody in fact, all of you. <laughs> that's my just first go. question to Megan. Gone out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't want to steal Megan's thunder in that case. So, uh, Megan, over to you. How would you describe the difference? Oh, boy. You know, I think my definition is probably going to be different than everybody else's um, just because of, of the nature of, of talent intelligence, right? And uh, we've, we've talked about this a little bit here and there in, in the, the group. Um, but I think that, you know, overall, talent analytics to me um, is more of that um, – you know, utilizing metrics to, you know, understand trends, understand what uh, you might need to look out for um, in the future. So you can do some predictive modeling on that. Talent intelligence to me, though, is more of a holistic um, type of, of practice, right? It, it takes a little bit of workforce planning, a little bit of um, analytic, no, not a little bit, but a lot of analytics, but it's, it's looking at that picture from a, a higher, you know, that 10,000 foot view. Mm. Um, and it brings in different disciplines. That's, that's how I look at it. Um, just that, that tweak of that analytics, um, you know, that, that seems to be the focus, right? I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm pretty with you. I think, I think there's a whole chunk of it that for me is something about, um, uh, it implies internal data. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the, I think the whole term analytics implies internal data yeah. because you're analyzing stuff that you've got easy access to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing that I saw, you know, and I I, I briefly looked at this um, uh, at the presentation, and one thing that stuck out to me um, while he was talking was he said, you know, this is what recruiters should do or shouldn't do, something along those lines, right? And that struck me because I don't think it's necessarily what they should or shouldn't do, but it, is it something that they want to do? Is it something that they can do? Um, and, or is it something that, you know, should be kind of a, um, you know, supplementing their day-to-day recruiting uh, operations? So that was one thing that stuck out to me with his presentation was just, you know, I, I don't think we need to be so prescription prescriptive as to what recruiters should or shouldn't be doing. It's what do they want to do or what, sh- you know, what, what are the capabilities within your team? And I think it's going to change. It, it, it'll change within a team over time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that capabilities piece, now I, I, it could be something we discussed for, for hours at length on this piece. And I think that that capabilities and that desire is really interesting because I think we, we load up recruiters with a lot of different hats already. You know, they're doing copywriting and they're expected to do amazing copy and recruitment marketing and be sales experts that we're expecting to be project management experts, process change experts. We're expecting to be headhunters. We expect them to do lots of different things already to overlay that with 
we want you to be talent analytics experts and bring insight to the table and being talent intelligence experts as, as well. It, it's a lot of hats we're asking somebody to, to wear at the same time. Right. One, didn't Annie talk about competitor mapping um, in our podcast? And she was talking about how, in fact, they used it in a slightly different way. Um, but they overlaid their attrition rates and the people that they had lost to their competitors and, and they overlaid them against the leadership teams. And that actually that over a course, over a period of time meant that suddenly the data rolled up was, oh, my God, look, our, our nearest competitor has got 20 percent of their exco is made up of people who used to work for us. Have I made that up? I don't think I have. <laughs> it could be a, it could be something that somebody's doing, right? <laughs> yeah. Even if you have, it sounds really interesting, Alison. <laughs> I'm sure Annie said that they were doing that. I can't remember whether it was where she where she is now or whether it was kind of previous company. But I just thought that was another really cool way of looking at, you know, instead of it being um, in inverted commas just mapping, you're actually kind of using it to tell a story and show a picture, which it sounds as if, and I haven't looked at the report, I will do, it sounds as if Todd did in his presentation yeah i think for, for me todd was taking it from the, the talent analytics title which as you say is often just that purely internal piece and it can be quite transcriptional um and it, it was he even though it was analytics i think he it is much as what he was doing it was more towards insights and intelligence and i i was talking to somebody about this earlier this week where for me data and analytics is uh knowing tomato is a fruit the insights piece is knowing not to put that tomato in a fruit salad. And the actual intelligence is that contextual piece and thinking, well, if that's the case, is ketchup a smoothie? Yeah. And it's a somewhat surreal example, but that's kind of where my, my thought process goes with that's it. It's not, yeah. it's not just knowing the, the, the data point and the analytics point. It's understanding the context of that and then the, the broader implication of that. Right. So in my head, I've now got Insight 222 going, let's test the hypothesis of whether tomato is a fruit or not <laughs> and use the data to prove that and that's you know i mean that in, an, in a that's not supposed to be flippant but actually isn't it interesting how you kind of take a hypothesis and try and prove it yeah it's ketchup a smoothie there you are top 10 things you didn't think you'd be talking about on a on a chat on <laughs> podcast with megan <laughs> 10 minutes in, we're on the tangents <laughs> so, so what else have you come across toby uh gartner have been doing some interesting work around the top 10 trends in data and analytics uh Slightly more hardcore than a lot of things we look at in, in traditional TI, and it was uh, very much around the technical elements of the analytics landscape. Some really interesting stuff, though, that's going to come through and, and I think will impact us. So it's the, the, the overlay of data is going to be incredibly relevant, and it's we see that quite a lot within TI already. How do you use different data points across different functions from different areas, and, and how does that overlay work together? Um, the AI augmentation of data. So we're not in the future going to need to see people that are hardcore analysts in the same way. You're going to have the systems that, that actually can augment a lot of the work we're looking at. And so it's more the interpretation of that data um, and, and how do we actually use that data for impact. I think that's really interesting. Maturity models, I, I don't always agree with in terms of where a lot of the, the analytics and the data pieces are going around self-service, etc. Um, I think we're moving in slightly more of a consultative direction for, for me in talent intelligence. I think it's that contextual piece is lost somewhat in the self-serve. Um, but once again, really interesting, really interesting uh, study. Lots of really good stuff in there to, to be able to digest and take away. Um, so, yeah, really, really would recommend people to go and check that out as well. I think that one's really interesting because we, um, yeah, strategies, and I'm sure other providers are also doing this, but actually we're looking at um, what are the relationships in the data and yeah. using particularly graph techniques to say, actually, you know, what is this really telling us rather than just kind of data for data's sake? You know, what's this really telling us and what are all the relationships? I think it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, the, the one thing, though, um, you know, I always go back to where is the data coming from to begin with? And I, I still feel like there's there's a missing piece for me where um, we look at TA tech or, or HR tech and we try to say, you know, where, where is this data actually coming from? Is it coming from an ATS? Is it coming from, you know, a larger IT system? Is it coming from an HRIS, wherever? Um, but I, I do think that we don't, we're not quite there yet to be making these larger jumps yeah. to use AI augmentation, to use maturity models for 
um, talent intelligence. I, I still feel like we're at a point in many instances, maybe not all, where the data still isn't there to really be um, that I would feel very comfortable, you know, making making those jumps. I don't know. I, I think that there's there's just a a lot behind the scenes that and behind the technology that is still not there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Right. Completely agree. I think, Jan, I, I, I absolutely tip my hat to Alison on this this bit because I know you're the, the expert in this area compared to me, but I think the, there's so much messy data out there still, particularly yeah. when you're looking at global data sets and trying to compare different regions. And, um, you know, I think certain regions have much better clarity on what the workforce is doing and what there is. In other regions, it's, it's much, much woollier. Um, but I, I, in my, my layman's perspective compared to uh, Alison and yourself, I, I still think there's, a lot of, of unknowns out there. Well, and when we talk about internal data, especially if we're looking mm-hmm. at it from that talent analytics perspective and just looking at the internal data, um, we don't talk enough about how we're cleansing the data, how we're how we're supplementing that data with other types of data that is going to provide a fuller picture. I feel mm-hmm. like that's that's the the boring stuff that nobody wants to talk about, right? It's the mm-hmm. it's it's just, but it's important. You have to have that foundation. Um, and I don't, I'm not confident in that. You know, I don't, I, I would love to hear how others are tackling that or feel about that. Um, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there's, there's this whole piece. No one talks about skills taxonomy, right? Yeah. And, and everyone right. needs to hang their hat on skills taxonomies because an, until, whether that's internal data or external data, until you've got something where you are comparing apples with apples, mm-hmm. um, then then actually the data is going to lie to you. Um, and it, it, again, it doesn't matter if it's internal or external. There's a whole bunch of stuff that the external providers can do to force it into a taxonomy. Um, and we're doing some clever stuff. MZ are doing some clever stuff. Um, you know, but until that then gets applied to internal data, then again, you're, just, you're going to get this slightly kind of random view. We're doing a piece of work at the moment with... Um, an organization who, and it happens to be over diversity, who are missing so much data in their yeah. internal system that the best way for them to look at it is by taking an outside in approach. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah, and 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 that's just, you know, and this is a big company, you know, yeah. with, with a global footprint that you would expect to have that data because they've relied on self-serve or self-inputting of the data. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's not until you start to challenge it and you go, oh, there's a big gap. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, too. I mean, you might get people who are going to put the information in once, yeah. but, you know, they're, they're never going to touch it again. They're never going to update it. They're never, you know, there could be missing pieces. And that's absolutely correct. I mean, I think that the external data that you find, you know, on LinkedIn or wherever is more accurate than what companies have internally, um, which is a shame. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's it's frightening, huge... isn't it? It's somewhere there's an opportunity, isn't there, for those those yes. to get really combined, actually, and and to be going right. How do we make sure? How do we marry these two and make sure that the two things that we're seeing match each other? Yeah, but yeah, and and you know, to... not just that. Then too is, um, you know, okay, so maybe we don't have the cleanest data. Um, it's never going to be a hundred percent. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we then use that as a, a, a talking point? How do we, you know, say this is, um, I always like to say directionally accurate, right? This is something that we can go off of. You need mm-hmm. to, though, explain that to your stakeholders because when you're presenting this information, um, because of the nature of it and, and everything else, people can get so marred in that, in those numbers mm-hmm. that you really have to take it back and, and, and tell that story, like you were saying, Allison, um, and really put that context around it so that they understand that there are lots of different things um, that are affecting uh, whatever story that you're trying to tell. Um, and it's not just one thing, right? Yeah, I, and we'll pick up on that. I'll let um, Toby, he's got some more cool stuff to talk about, but I want to pick up on that when we go through some questions. Yeah. Well, I think one of the other bits I saw came out this week, um, which ties into what you're saying around the, the skills piece, was there was a, a study that was highlighted by uh, Lyndon Maines, uh, and it was called Employment Creation Potential, Labor Skills Requirements and Skills Gaps for Young People, which is an awesome mm-hmm. title. Um, loads of really, really good stuff in there. It's, it's quite an academic paper uh, for me, um, but one of the bits that really stood out for me was there was a, a whole section around um, the shortcomings of skills indicators. So it's looking at knowledge, skill, ability, and education. And essentially, the, the shortcomings of each of them 
in, in different ways. And I think it really ties back to the points you both made around we're, we're looking more and more towards skills of individuals. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously within this, it was looking at the shortcomings of looking at that as in isolation. But I think the, it comes back to that point that it is really, really hard to understand your own workforce. It's really hard to understand the skills you're bringing on um, as an employer. And particularly, as you say, when things like talent card completion rates, et cetera, in internal systems aren't very high because quite often people don't see the value of filling those out. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really hard, hard piece to actually accurately assess. Um, I think that also ties through to kind of the HRS and HDM platform space where uh, I know Alan will know much more about me around this space. But I think as those platforms develop into more of an internal gig platform, um, looking more of a, you're in t- employing an individual rather than an individual into a job. I think we should hopefully get more transparency around skills and obviously the, the skills taxonomies and everything ties through for that. Um, but I, I think it's an ongoing issue. I think it's really an ongoing issue. Yeah. Yeah. If I put my social enterprise head on instead of my head, I make sure that we're keeping the wolf from the door head. Um, there's, there's something that really powerful in kind of going back to education and going, this is what is needed. You know, this is what commercially business are crying out for. And there's this massive gap between the skills that are being talked out there and the skills that are talked out in education. But that's probably a whole nother podcast. Don't we don't get Toby off on that, I don't think. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. And then the last bit of news I saw for, for this week, really, and I need to touch on this one because I think, once again, it's a really big topic, is uh, remote working. There's a couple of studies that were flagged up around uh, the impact of, of remote working, one of them particularly on the U.S. side of things, and looking at the percentage of the workforce, looking at remote work, one more global, where it was estimated one in six uh, globally were going to be working remotely or working from home. Uh, I think there's some really huge fundamental impacts that are going to come from this, uh, one of them being de-urbanization. And people moving out of the urban centres that are so so expensive. I know we've discussed that previously on a, yeah. in some some detail, uh, but I think there's going to be some really really fundamental shocks that that come with this. People wanting different size housing, people wanting different types of housing. I think there's some really fundamental things that are going to happen as people get more comfortable working remotely, and and what that impact throughout the, the whole of the talent intelligence side of things is going to be. Oh man. I, I- I find that stuff incredibly fascinating, just the wider impact that people aren't really even thinking about. I was listening to something on the radio yesterday, which makes me sound really old. Listen to the wireless. and um... <laughs> I wound it up first to get it going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, they were talking about the, the economic impact on you know, inner city restaurants, coffee shops, mm-hmm. like all those things, shops, retail, et cetera, all those things that, workers go out and do at lunchtime or on the way to work or on the way home and how that could just absolutely decimate pretty much most cities um because of the the drop in trade that will happen yeah though on our um the webinar that we run we have a whole bunch of hr leaders who come on and talk about um what's impacting the most and when they talk about redeploying talent kind of post-covid yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting because yes they talk about deurbanisation and yes they talk about you know kind of remote working and how do we facilitate it and how do we look after well being and what's the wider impact, but the the thing that comes up time and time again which is a practicality is under what employment laws are we paying mm-hmm. people if they are working from anywhere, so if yeah. in theory we've got an employee who works for us and they go let's say to Italy um, and they are then working for us from Italy. Mm. You know, what are we paying them in? And if we don't have a legal entity in the country that they're in, then do we need to set up a legal entity? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a whole yeah. mishmash and understanding the employment laws and regulations that go around that whole piece. You know, I, I think HR get a bad shout sometimes actually for being the blockers on progress. Um, and on this one, it's one where you go, actually, that's not a blocker. That's a very serious practical question is what the hell, hell are we doing with these people and what law are they operating under? Yeah, absolutely. So it's always just a bigger digital nomad when you're a freelancer, but trying to be a digital nomad as part of an organisation is a very different prospect. Absolutely, yeah. And and you know, a hundred thousand people. Does, yeah, have you got a hundred thousand different employment contracts? And then that feeds back into your HRIS system that says, "What's the data that we put into our HRIS system, and and what can we analyse, and how can we do it, and how does it compare across all of those countries?" I think it's yeah, it's a big mishmash of messy data and and laws. 
This explains the incredibly spammy LinkedIn message I had this afternoon from somebody trying to pitch to me, employer of record services. So these are companies that, in essence, will have a legal entity set up in 100, 150 countries across the world, and they will act act as the employer on behalf of an organization. So let's say Facebook wanted to employ somebody in Fiji, but they haven't got a presence in Fiji and they don't want to set up a legal entity in Fiji. This company would already have one. So they'd employ the employee and then charge Facebook for paying their salary, their pension, and, and everything that goes. Almost like a temp agency, I guess, mm-hmm. but specifically targeted at helping organizations employ people in any country in the world. And I guess actually going back to that digital nomad thing, it could be could lead to a whole heap of increases of retention because yeah. before people moved com- people often move companies because they may want to travel or get an experience living in another part of the world and and their employer may not have a presence there and sometimes that means you have to move companies but actually if you don't have to do that you just literally have to move house but you can carry on working for your company that could retain an I, awful lot of people i get really yep. passionate about this stuff because i think the ceos that get this right now will have a fundamental impact on their attrition rates and, and how they can retain people, the people who kind of embrace it, and also the ones that don't do a one-size-fits-all because we all talk about working from home. But actually, if you're living in, and I'm making sweeping observations here, but if you're living in an inner city in a multi-generational house where the mm. broadband infrastructure doesn't support remote working and the only table is the kitchen table, yeah, actually, that is not an ideal scenario for anybody to be working from home. Um, yeah, or, or if you, I, I listened to um, a webinar from some guys called God, I think they were called Hubble. I hope I haven't made that up. Um, Huddle, um, who were an office workspace um, platform for finding workspaces, very London centric. But they were saying that actually most of the people that they surveyed wanted the ability to yeah go into the office maybe once a week. Yes, they wanted to work from home, but also they wanted to work from cafes, they wanted to work from hotel lobbies, they wanted to work from co-working spaces. So there's another whole bunch of laws and legislations that says, okay, how do we control security if we've got somebody sitting in a hotel lobby doing all of their calls? Yeah, I just yeah. think it's it's a massive, a massive thing. But it's really exciting because, my it God, is what so an opportunity exciting. to transform your workforce. Well, the, and it, I mean, everybody's been kind of talking about digital transformation and how COVID has really just pushed us into it. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if you weren't transformed before, you better be now yeah. um, <laughs> or you better get there. So it, it just, you know, it, it sped up a process that we were already, you know, we were already headed down that path. So now it's it's just kind of, you know, fire hose type stuff. But um, it is very exciting. Very good. Anyway, Toby, thank you. For My that. pleasure. That was fantastic. Um, just mindful of time. I'm, I'm whip, cracked, whip cracker and ringmaster general, <laughs> Megan, to a certain extent. Yeah. And um, and as formative as that is, chatting about the news and what's happening, we could do that for hours and hours. We do have a wonderful guest that we want to hear more about. And um, I think it's time for our, our resident hard-hitting interviewer <laughs> to hit her with that barrage of questions that we mentioned earlier in the show. <laughs> so, Alison, it's your time to shine. Put those recruiter pants on. <laughs> I mean, Toby will sit back for a little bit. Um, I give Megan a bit of a grilling. Yeah, no, um, don't be sitting, don't be sitting back. It's a long time since I was a recruiter, so for God's sake, don't expect anything like that. And I wasn't very good at it, even when I was doing it. Um, uh, but so, so the, the things that I really think it would be fab to understand from Megan is, Megan, you get this amazing chance to have a holistic view um, because you're looking at this from an, an, an analyst perspective. Right. And and we've touched on some of this earlier, but actually, yeah, I, I think it would be really interesting to understand what we think the difference is between people analytics, so not talent analytics, but people analytics, mm-hmm. and then talent intelligence. And then leading on from that, therefore, where do we think the function should sit? Yeah. Well, these are all, you know, those, those million-dollar questions. Um, it's, you know, people analytics from my background and, and experience is um, looking at that internal, um, you know, what's going on with your own workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, very much also entwined with um, the, the employee experience and survey data and all of that world. Yep. Right. Um, talent intelligence uh, from where I'm at is more of what's going on with competitors, what's going on with your own people, you know, looking at 
what you can um, with your own data, but mirroring that up like we were talking about with external data to some extent. Um, so understanding where are people going? Are we losing them to this competitor? What type, you know, are we losing the um, uh, entry level? Is it more, you know, C-level? Looking at those patterns, trying to understand what are we doing right? What can we do better at? Um, and all in an effort to, um, uh, to, to acquire talent and to retain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a, a piece in between there that we haven't quite broached yet as a talent intelligence community, which is how then do we look at um, that internal mobility piece, which we touched on a little bit too. So, you know, how can talent intelligence professionals also be stewards of um, that internal mobility piece and diversity and inclusion? Because those those things kind of go together, mm-hmm. which is a really big nut that we've been trying to crack forever, I feel like, mm-hmm. um, is you know, what does diversity even mean, quite honestly? I mean, we can, the obvious is there, but um, when I was a practitioner, you know, we talked about diversity is also diversity of thought. You know, yep. if I didn't go to a university, if I if I grew up in a certain area of the world or what have you, I'm going to bring to the table a different experience. And that in itself is diversity. Um, so how do you capture that? I mean, that's just, you know, <laughs> that that lives in the ether as well. And, and how do you really understand what that means? Um, so it's not just female, male, you know, gender, ethnicity type of stuff. It's also what types of, of backgrounds are people coming from and, and what, what experiences do they bring? Um, so I think that as TA professionals, there is that opportunity to really be, um, be able to shed light on it. Right. Um, so that, those are kind of my definitions. Uh, I would love to hear what others, what others think or what, what you've been seeing lately. So I I think it's fascinating because everyone we ask gives us a different answer. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, and, and that just kind of relates to the maturity, right, of, of right. the function is we're moving at such a pace. And there are some businesses that are still very tactical in their use of talent intelligence. Um and so look at things like retention and engagement. Um and yet there are some, and I'm gonna um lump Toby in, into this, who actually use talent intelligence in a much more strategic manner. And and I guess that leads really neatly into the next question. So wave a magic wand. Where should a talent intelligence function sit? Oh, man. I think that right now um, it's best suited to be in a centralized place. And I used to talk to my team about this as well because we felt buried. You know, we felt buried within talent acquisition where it was – our, our voices weren't being heard. We had to go through several, you know, different layers of individuals to get to decision makers, uh, you know, a lot of the time. Um, and, and felt like if we had more exposure into the greater HR and to have more of a line of sight into business, um, we would be able to, to, you know, go directly to those individuals who were decision makers. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, I do think that there is, you know, again, along that maturity scale, um, wherever TI is sitting within an organization, there's going to be differences. But there is a, there, you know, recruiters absolutely, I think, um, and, and t- uh, talent acquisition as a whole, um, really can perceive value and they can get value from what TI professionals do. But I don't know that TI professionals speak the same language as talent intel- or talent acquisition professionals, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's some disconnect there, and I think it takes um, it takes individuals who can speak both languages. So if we're talking about you know the art and science of talent acquisition, talent intelligence professionals also have to have that art and science and be able to say to a recruiter, sourcer, TI leader, uh, TA leader, uh, you know this is what this means. This is the action that we should be taking off of this. So the the delivery is a little bit different if you're speaking within a TA function than it would be within a, a centralized function or a strategic function or, you know, within a business function. Um, and I've, I've seen, you know, embedded um, talent intelligence professionals, uh, not necessarily, they're not called talent intelligence, but what they're doing is, you know, they're looking at, at people, they're looking at um, they're looking at data and they are bringing to the table something uh, to, to make decisions. 
uh, based off of, right? Um, so I just think it, 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 it's really dependent and you have to know your organization. You know, I've, I've been so lucky to engage with you um, before on this and you know how passionate I am about yeah. this being a driver of strategy. Um, and, and you almost kind of touched on it there is, is yep, a centralized function, but you know what? Some companies just are not ready for that. Right. So, so let me then chuck another kind of million dollar question out. And this is probably more for um, suppliers into this space rather than individuals into this space. But I think it's quite an interesting one in through both eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, who should the buyer be Mm -hmm. for this sort of information? You know, that's (laughs) the buyer. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that buying power should be solely within one area. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially not within, uh, you know, the CIO or the IT function, which is where I've seen most of this buying happen. Um, because it's like, well, it's a TA, TA product or it's an HR product and, you know, procurement is really the ones who decide or IT is or, or the ones. I just feel like TA doesn't have enough, enough of a say. Yeah. So overall, I think that TA should be at least have a voice in it if they aren't already. Toby, do you have your hand up? <laughs> yeah, so he has. He's put his hand up because he wants me to loop back to something. But I, he's cross <laughs> with me because I've said, give me a minute. So, no, no, this one was for this. this happened, oh, was it? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's oh, okay. Sorry. Toby, crack on. It clearly doesn't work, this whole hand up thing. Just interrupt. <laughs> I can't be doing with it. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I think the, the buyer for me, um, and I know the question wasn't even to me, so, you know, I'm jumping in anyway. I think yeah. the buyer for me should be, whoever has the decision-making authority for the problem statement. So it could be somebody in strategy. It could be somebody in ops. It could be, could be someone in HR. I, I think that the, the, the buying power has to be, and it's going to change in organizations. I've, I've worked in organizations where uh, it's the ops function that ultimately rules the roost. I've worked in organizations where it's the sales function that ultimately rules the roost. I think understanding who that key decision-maker is for what you're trying to uh, attack that that really should be the buyer. I think anyone else that's purchasing um, is is really just just hoping they can influence. And if they can't get that influence, they can't get that buy-in, then that that intel and that, that product, whatever it may be, that's just going to go to waste. It's going to be sidelined. It's going to be shelved at some point and sunsetted. So maybe I've got a slightly weird and wacky view on this one because I wonder whether or not actually some of the restrictions around the use of how talent intelligence could be used is driven by the fact that the buyer typically is talent acquisition who quite rightly look at how how something could be used to support their work whereas actually if we're genuinely passionate about this passionate about this stuff in forming strategy shouldn't the buyer be the strategy director or the diversity director or the you know hr director or the real estate director or people and property director, you know, I just I think it's a whole mishmash. And that leads neatly into the bit that I was supposed to loop back on earlier. So I'm going to go um, in with diversity again, um, because Megan, you touched on this earlier. And I, and I um, this is one of the reasons why I love you, because you just you you were talking about, you know, it's not just data here. There's a whole chunk of stuff here about diversity of thought. And that's where the value really comes in. Um, so I guess, you know, what does this mean in terms of the background of somebody in in our space? You know, are yeah. they a knowledge management professional? Are, are they a traditional TA person? Are they a data scientist or engineer? Are they a librarian? What's mm-hmm. you know, What's your view? You know, I and and my background for those of you who don't who are listening and who don't know, um, I am a librarian, um, and I really grew up in this space um, with other librarians, which I think is pretty unique um, and and has shaped my my viewpoint and my outlook on 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 TA and TI, um, and I think that it doesn't really matter educational wise, right? Like we didn't go to school for this. None of us did. There's, I, to my knowledge, maybe there's at this point, but there's no talent intelligence program or, or degree that you can take. Um, that'd be yes. interesting if there was one. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> your next, your next thing, Alison. I've um, just written it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, there's, I think that we, tend to very often lean on the data heavy side, the analytics side, all of that. But there's this, the storytelling part that we talk about. 
Um, but it's so, so important. And some of the most fabulous um, practitioners within the space that I've worked with or spoken with are really wonderful storytellers. Um, and they have this ability to just take information and turn it into um, a, a picture and, and something that people can grab onto. Um, so that's, you know, whether you're coming from a knowledge management background or something that's, you know, non-traditional, quote unquote, um, I think that you really have to be able to take information and know your audience. You know, we had a, a thread the other day about um, visualization tools, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write a whole bunch more <laughs> than what I did. But it's it's really about understanding your audience. And if somebody can do that, then I think that they can they can be successful in in talent intelligence. I don't think it takes somebody who, you know, can crunch a bunch of numbers or understands you know, these graphs and, you know, I'm certainly not that person, um, but I can take data and I can, I can distill it. You know, that, that's something that I think is, is really important. Um, but like I said, it, it just, it, it's something that I think that we are, are still in the process of understanding more about what we're doing. And it's, it's just like with all of the COVID stuff too. Um, it's changing our world. It's changing what we do as, as talent intelligence professionals. Um, and I have seen more job postings for these type of roles than I ever had have in my life since COVID started. So I think that that's a really, that's an indicator to me that says people are starting to figure out that they need more than what they've been getting from a yeah. talent perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, there's um, two bits that are really interesting from that. So one is, um, you're right, the storytelling, but it's also about transferring the knowledge, isn't it? So yeah. that people kind of get it and, and understand what they could could and couldn't do with it. You know, it's all very well going, hey, here's a report, here's some insight. Right. But you, you, you've got to be able to turn that into something actionable and something that the users can relate to. You know, what does that mean to my top line or my bottom line? Because right. actually, that's the stuff that I really care about, you right. know, and, and, and not a percentage shift here or there. Um, and, and then the job postings bit, I think, is related to the fact that you know, we've seen, um, thankfully, HR kind of thrust into the limelight um, yeah. over the course of this period. And you know what? A whole bunch of people have really risen to that. You know, they were they were waiting for this opportunity and to go, yeah, yeah OK, it's really different. And as a result of saying, yeah, we need to do some different stuff, guys. We're only getting half the story. We need to do some talent intelligence. Right. We've seen the other side, too. But but I think that's that's really cool. Now, yeah. before Alan goes putting his hand up at me, which he'll he'll do shortly <laughs> if I'm not careful, can you can I can you give me I don't know two or three examples of the best use of TI that you have seen? Hmm. The best use. Let's see. Um, I think you know going back to diversity. Um, when. And I'm going to use my team as an example um, previous to, you know, working at IDC was um, we had diversity initiatives and the um, diversity inclusion team came directly to my team, um, knowing that we did work on that. Uh, but they were looking for ways outside of your traditional recruiting, job posting, you know, the, the process within TA to understand the market. Where are we going to have the greatest areas of opportunity for different types of, you know, uh, individuals that had different types of backgrounds? Um, and we were very successful. We, we looked at it and we said, you know what, if you have this makeup um, within the organization, you're already doing well because that is what your, your customers look like. That's what customers are like in the, um, uh, in that area. So I think that from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, TI really should be focused on that right now um, if they aren't already. Um, and then I also think that um, just in partnership with strategic, strategic workforce planning, I can never say that all in one sentence, <laughs> um, really looking at, you know, working with real estate, working it with SWP, working with the business, um, and especially right now, opening and closing offices. I mean, yeah. do we need that? Do we need people in that area? Is it too expensive to be hiring people there? Why are we doing that right now? Um, so I think that those are two big use cases that are very relevant for today. Um, and I don't know, you know, if anybody's 
done it perfectly, but I think that there's some really um, interesting teams out there that are doing really cool stuff. Yeah, completely agree. Sorry, if I can on. jump in on that, I think there's one other use case that I'm finding quite interesting that we're doing at the moment over at Philips, which is much more tied to uh, commercial competitive intelligence. So, mm-hmm. so you, obviously with, with the world the way it is and companies tra- transforming so much and pivoting so much, we found that the business really uh, like the intel they can get from talent acquisition in terms of what competitive movements are, are happening. So what what sites are shutting down? What's their working from home policy? What sort of hiring strategies are they doing? Are they hiring in new locations? Are they hiring different skill sets? Are they looking to pivot the business potentially? That that kind of talent knowledge or talent uh, intel they're seeing is really, really impactful because it's giving them, it, it might not be a huge lead time, but it's giving them a lead time to what competitors may be pivoting towards, which is giving them obviously a, a, a great insight into the, the future. Is that being fed into centralized intelligence or into business leaders or into strategy? So that we're working in partnership with marketing intelligence. So we can oh, produce cool. uh, combined decks that we marry the two sets of data. So they're looking at things from a competitor marketing intelligence um, and we're, we're bringing the talent piece and we're, we're combining them. And yeah, that's going straight that, to business leader. That is a great example too. I think um, talent acquisition has a lot to learn from marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've been saying this now for the past few years, you know, marketing has done a lot of things right. They have CRMs as well. They they are doing, um, you know, recruitment marketing, basically, but they're doing it from that uh, consumer base, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that we as, as TA and TI professionals have a lot to learn from marketing. Um, so I, I think that that's great, Toby, that you're, you're working with them on that. Completely agree. I've got one more question, which I'm hoping isn't going to make you sigh as much as the last one did, because that worried me a bit. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was coming, that's why. I told you I wasn't very good as a recruiter, that's why. You make your candidates (laughs) sigh, that's not a great start, is it? (laughs) Um, So this is, um, yeah, you do know this question. So if you, we, we talked about more businesses than ever starting to advertise for talent intelligence roles. If you had... Uh, some killer pieces of advice for a big organization that's heading into tunnel intelligence for the first time, mm-hmm. what would you say to them? Um, what to look for? Um, in, no, in, for just, individuals just generally. So they're setting up, they're setting up a function. So yeah. they're, they're just kind of at the early stages of going, let's set up a tunnel intelligence function. Sure. What are the I three th- things you'd say to them? You know, one of the biggest things that I would say, and this is, I've I've heard this firsthand from other individuals who who are standing up or who have stood up TI functions, is they need access to funds. <laughs> they yep. need to have tools and tools specific to what they need to do to get the job done. Yep. Um, yes, you can do a lot of stuff by hand. Does it take forever? And is it horribly tedious absolutely um so give give that function what it needs to really get off the ground and and be successful um from the beginning um so i think that that's that's one of the biggest things is um you know i think that sometimes leaders think well they they have access to the ats or the crm or whatever it's like isn't that what they need no no we need more robust tools we need different resources um, than than what recruiters uh, use, so I think that that's that would be my number one thing is is provide them with with the resources necessary. Cool, Toby, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I, th- I think resources is absolutely vital, and whether that's technical resources, whether that's actual capacity to deliver right. stuff, I think it's very much an economy of scale piece. The more people you have, the more impact you can have. Uh, because quite often the projects in of themselves are quite time consuming. So it's hard to do things as a, a one man uh, or one woman person party. I'd say that the big thing for me is is don't worry about where the headcount sits and where the budget sits and, and break away from the siloed mentality, which can quite often impact companies. I think by its nature, the, the way this stuff impacts really well is when you're looking at things holistically. So whether the, this sits in, a TA, whether it sits in sourcing, whether it sits in marketing, whether it sits under strategy, it really, for me, it doesn't doesn't matter. It should, it should to the extent of it should be completely fluid. You really need to break down as many of those silos as possible and look at things as holistically as possible. Completely agree. As you knew yeah. I would, because you know we, we we've got a real thing about one dimensional data analysis. Yeah, you know, for God's sake, you've got to look at workforce and workplace. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. At, at, a, at a very high level, because otherwise you're just missing a trick. Um, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, guys, listen on that on that plea to support your local talent intelligence professional <laughs> with the right tools and uh, and infrastructure. I think we can. Um, I think we should stop. I think this has been fantastic, Megan. That was so so insightful. Um, but we do need to stop at some point. And I think forty seven minutes and a bit seems like a natural one. Actually, forty eight minutes and a bit. I thought we were pretty well behaved better. this time because normally yeah. we say forty five minutes, and then we run on. And, and I was at home. I need to behave myself, not make Megan sigh again. <laughs> no, all good. And uh, as ever, thank you, Alison. Thank you, Toby, for co-hosting this. Thank you. Off- third talent intelligence collective podcast we've managed three Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Uh, megan huge okay. thanks to you you've been you've been incredible immense thank and I, I hope the experience was a, a positive one for you yes thank you for having me i really appreciate it no megan, we're going to tie you, you into coming back again i think thank you oh great <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and and to our audience you know a huge thanks for listening see you or kind of visually not but whatever hear you hear us whatever for the next episode um i've got a new closing phrase that i want to try out guys wait for it stay intelligent (laughs) (laughs) i like it no not too cheesy that is kind of cheesy but (laughs) good i am the cheese master goodbye all right goodbye Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. Here's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. They've done the hard work of analysing thousands of external data sources so you can answer questions on skills, diversity and real estate. Stratagens enables quicker business decisions about workforce and workplace in a way that is refreshingly simple and revolutionary in its logic. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.